Well, hey, everybody. <laughs> pathetic. Just kidding. I would never insult you like that, but it was pathetic. <laughs> My name is Grant Schultz. I'm one of the pastors here at Jacob's Well. I'd like to welcome our guests here today. In fact, I'd also like to welcome anybody watching down in the theater, all the people who may be checking out this service online. We know a lot of people nowadays where it's so socially awkward to go into a new place, especially a big place, they'll check us out online before they come for a visit. So let me just say to all you socially anxious people watching online, we're nice. We're not going to hurt you. We're not jerks. We're not going to make it weird. And we cannot wait to see you very soon. This is week five of our series called Worth It, as we've been studying 2 Corinthians. One of the several letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in the city of Corinth. He had previously needed to call them out on some stuff they had been up to. Not only specific individuals within their church body, but stuff that their church as a whole, as a group, was up to. Paul's relationship with them had become very strained over time. They had all these wrong ideas about what Paul was up to, made false assumptions and accusations, treated him really poorly. They disregarded his leadership and wisdom. And this is the guy who helped start their church and helped set them on the path that leads to God. And they, they let his teachings, his wisdom, their connection with him fall away in favor of some false teachers who worked actively and jealously to turn people against Paul. So in short, unlike us, they were jerks. And while we don't have all the letters that they exchanged back and forth, we have enough to go on that we've been able to see some parallels in our lives, things that are true for all time for believers, and we've learned some important lessons from their example. If you've missed any of our previous messages in the series, there are four of them. You can go online and check those out, and I encourage you to do so. So their relationship was strained. There was all this tension and division, and Paul wanted that relationship, the love between him and these believers in Corinth, to be healed for the sake of the gospel. But for that to happen, it couldn't just be Paul calling them out. They had to respond. They had some owning up to do. They had to accept responsibility, change their ways, humble themselves, and make the choice to work through a process of learning and growth toward lasting change. And that process is called repentance. Now, don't be afraid. I know repentance is a big word. It's a heavy concept and one that we easily can misunderstand. But it's not really that complicated It's just really that costly. And I'm sure there were many times when those believers in the Corinthian church, people just like us, when they were confronted with the junk they'd been up to and were forced to consider that long journey toward change, I bet they wondered, is repentance worth it? Because if it's that costly, we've got to ask that question. Is repentance worth it? Because it feels like It's not half the time. 14 years ago in my own life, after a several-year period of growing numbness, depression, addiction, I was brought face-to-face with my need to repent. The secret stuff I'd been up to in my personal life, the drugs, pornography, alcohol, not to mention just my tendency as a person and the way my brain is wired to isolate myself, to silently 
rage and put myself in the place of always being the victim. And I'm not saying that acknowledging being a victim is wrong. If you've been a victim, you've mu- you must talk about it. You must expose it. But this was about me permanently putting on a victim mentality and only seeing myself in that way. And it kept me from being able to lead or be present or give love to my wife, my kids, my family and friends. It all needed to change. I mean, that is just not a sustainable way to live. I couldn't hide from it anymore. So I repented or thought I had. And I just was not very good at it. And at one point in the process, I I knew I had a choice to make. This could no longer be the prideful kind of self-protecting sorry in the moment to get people off my back. This had to be the humble daily choice to live the change I said I acknowledged. I know I need it. I know I want it. But this had to be me actually choosing to live in that direction. There was a moment when I wanted to shut the process down because it doesn't feel good. I didn't like daily humility. Are you kidding me? Choosing humility every day? Who would ever do that? That's hard. I didn't like the open-endedness of the timeline. I wanted somebody to point me to the end date when I didn't have to be humble anymore or be repentant anymore. I didn't like other people not seeing the real things that were changing or not believing in me right away because I had a pretty bad track record. But I expected everyone to just accept the new stuff or the stuff I said I wanted and believe that was true about me. And I asked myself all the time in the early days of that process, is repentance worth it? Is this work really worth it? Well, that's personal and individual repentance. But I've also been part of a larger group of people that needed to repent. When I was a younger minister, I chose to be ignorant of the big picture. I let myself get swept up in a dangerous form of groupthink in the church. And it's this, that the point of us being together as a church is that we, as a singular church, we are right. That the point was winning the debate, the right way to do Christianity, the right things to believe, that the point was exclusivity, who we are against everyone else in the body of Christ, rather than seeing the beauty of the global church, let alone the church next door or the church across town here in the Chippewa Valley. People were harmed by these theologies and beliefs about God and people. So I started to repent publicly over four years ago as part of a restoration process. And it did not feel good, I can tell you. It hurt like crazy. It did not feel good to be the one person from that group's leadership to own any personal responsibility for what we had done. I had to check myself so many times over that pride didn't become the most important thing to me. But the process often didn't seem worth it. It seemed unfair. It seemed unbalanced. But The point wasn't how I felt about repentance. The point was what God was going to do through repentance. We don't like repentance. Can I just say that? Anybody disagree? We love it. We love the results, but the process we don't like. We don't like having to see 
the reality of ourselves when our delusions are finally shattered. We don't like seeing the reality of the groups we're a part of. And not what that group perceives it's all about, but what the reality is on the receiving end of us. How people experience us and the groups we're part of. We prefer our perception over reality. We like to win. We like the groups we're part of to win. And if confronted with something that we need to take responsibility for, we like to save face. Instead of choosing humility, we just choose to throw blame around. Like, well, maybe it's my fault, but it's also all these other people's fault. And really what they did was worse than what I did and probably caused what I did, so I'm a victim. We love to give the appearance of humility with no plan to actually change. We love to be repentant or seem repentant just long enough to be convincing. And then when the focus shifts away from us, we let out the sigh of relief and we go back to how things were. We get right back to winning. Repentance, real repentance is just too hard. Is it worth it? The Bible says yes. It is worth it to repent. And not only is it worth it, but without it, it's impossible to live a growing, transforming Christian life. The Bible says, yes, it is worth it to repent, and not just one time when we come to Christ, but as a way of life. And not even just personally and individually for moral failure or what we'd say are the more overt, outward sins, but we're called to repent in an ongoing way as groups, as communities of people, because together we get stuff wrong. This is about our collective judgment toward other people, our collective treatment of other people, our collective attitudes toward others. The Bible says, yes, it is worth it to repent, and its impact or absence is undeniable. If you have a Bible with you, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, or if not, you can just follow along with the verses that will come here on the screen next to me. Starting in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 8, the Apostle Paul writes, Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, by confronting you with the truth, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Now, like I said, there was all this tension between the Apostle Paul and the Christians there. And instead of avoiding the tension and just playing nice, Paul, on several occasions, had some strong words for them. And Maybe he did it imperfectly. Maybe he was a little bit too strong. Maybe a little bit too bold in some of the things he said. What we call 2 Corinthians was probably the fourth letter he had written to them now. And he hated having to write the letter he's referring to here because he knew his words would cause hurt. He regretted it. But something more powerful than his words of correction or that regret was going on here. This was about the value of what his words put in motion. Verse 9. Yet now, on the heels of that regret, feeling bad that I hurt you, yet now I'm happy. Not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed. In the big picture, in the long term, not harmed in any way by us. They had been awful. They needed to repent for what they as a group were doing. And thank God that's exactly what happened. His strong words of correction, even the words that hurt them, wasn't about causing sorrow or making them feel bad. 
It was so that the sorrow they felt as they owned their responsibility for what they had done caused something. It caused them to repent. Verse 10, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Now, as Christians, just like we see with the Christians in Corinth, we've got two choices when it comes to being correct, confronted with the reality of the stuff we do. The first option is godly sorrow. And this is the good option, okay? Godly sorrow, where we choose humility. We actually take the hard path here. We choose humility. We take responsibility for our choices. And it can lead to lasting change. Or two, the second option, worldly sorrow. This is, we know all about this one already. I don't even need to teach you guys this one. It's where the sting of reality offends us. And we feel bad. And we get mad about having to feel bad. And then while we may outwardly display like sorrow, oh, I feel so terrible. What we really mean is, I feel bad that I got caught. I wish it had never happened. Can't we just hide all this stuff all the time and keep the peace? But we're mad about feeling bad. And we say, sorry. We may say we repent. We may put on a good show. But on the inside, we hate the bad feeling so much even if it's our fault, and we know it, that we push away from that feeling. And then finally, once everyone gets off our backs, we go right back to the same attitude, same judgment, same sin. And guess what? That burden of regret is like a living kind of death. It never goes away. And if you are carrying that regret around, even today, you know that that feels like a death. It feels like you can never get around it or out from under it. So it's important for us right off the bat to make the following distinction. Repentance is greater than remorse. Anyone can feel remorse. We should. It's the natural feeling that occurs when we know we're doing something that we should not be doing. When we do something bad, we should feel bad about it. If we don't, then we're in serious trouble. But far too often, we settle for short-lived remorse when long-term repentance is called for. People, even Christians, hijack the appearance of repentance all the time because it's self-serving. Now, be aware, Paul wasn't writing his letter to non-believers in Corinth to say, hey, all you non-believers who haven't figured out life yet, you need to repent and turn to Jesus. He was writing to a church of people who were believers and calling them to repent. He wrote to Christians. But as Christians, we can be so bad at repentance. Often what we feel is not humility or godly sorrow, but anger that our behavior came to light, pride that compels us to cover it up, to protect ourselves. But feeling bad doesn't mean you've repented. Conviction alone Change is nothing. Change over time, and often over a long time, way longer than you might want. Change means you've repented. You make it real by living it, and it is infinitely valuable. Here's how Paul describes some of the value 
of the results of repentance. In verse 11, he continues, See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. So he's saying in these these words here, you took this seriously. When it came time, you took this seriously. You didn't shift responsibility and blame everybody else. You embraced your responsibility To show who you really are. You aimed your focus at the correct targets. Yourselves. And your sorrow, when you realized what you had been doing and the results of that, your sorrow produced all this amazing stuff in you. He goes on, the rest of verse 11. At every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. Which didn't mean that they were never guilty to begin with. They were. But it means that because they, for real, chose to be repentant, the story shifted away from the stuff they needed to repent for and onto the results of repentance. Repentance redeems regret. No longer was the story about the division and the stuff they were doing. It was about the transforming and healing love of God. They repented. So now, in God's eyes and in the Apostle Paul's eyes, they had reclaimed their innocence. That's beautiful. Verse 12. So even though I wrote to you, it was neither on account of the one who did the wrong nor on account of the injured party, but rather that before God, you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. So the truth coming to light wasn't about assigning blame. It wasn't just Paul's personal, like, current hot take on who's right, who's wrong. The point was to speak the truth, talk about what was really going on, and give these believers an opportunity to make things right. And then because they repented, everyone could experience more deeply the connection they had in community with each other and with the the Apostle Paul. And then the very first part of verse 13 concludes this little section. He says, by all this, we are encouraged. Of course, that's super encouraging. Their repentance encouraged Paul, and all those who were part of his ministry team. Repentance is one of the greatest forms of encouragement we have. It's how we take a bad situation, our own bad choices, and instead of letting them define us or defeat us, we let them motivate us to try again, to show who we really are, what we're really all about, that we're the real deal. And when we do that, it fills others with hope and with courage. So for our benefit, really quickly, I'm going to tick through Paul's list from back in verse 11 where he describes those results of repentance just so we can really grasp and internalize how powerful repentance can be in our lives. The first thing that repentance will do is give you an energy to live changed. A lack of godly sorrow, hiding in our pride and self-deception, it robs us of energy. Self-righteousness, refusal to accept responsibility, angry pride that's stung by the truth. All that stuff is a burden that we're not meant to carry around all the time. Godly sorrow, where we can clearly see that we need to change, and then we actually do the things in reality that lead to that change. We say, yes, I'm going to change. It gives us a new kind of energy. It also gives us a renewed sense of purpose. When you've got the burden of regret weighing you down, those questions of, what am I living for? 
What's the point of all this? What am I doing here and now in the moment that makes any difference at all in the world? Well, those questions feel way heavier when we only go as far as remorse and regret. But if we can know that God has given us a process called repentance, and through that process, we can work with God, collaborate with God, and be part of redefining and redeeming our remorse and regret, well, then the burden isn't just going to be there all the time. The burden can lift. And I say, sign me up. I've signed up for that process many times over already. What we do in working toward true repentance is never meaningless. Never meaningless. There's always great purpose in it, way beyond ourselves. Repentance gives us a time of cleansing and clarity. Repentance shows us who we really want to be. It reminds us of who we really are in Christ. The bad stuff, all that regret, washed away. And the confusion it caused, the distortions it caused in our vision of life is replaced by clarity that comes from the spirit of Jesus in our minds and hearts. Repentance brings about changed desires. Often the behaviors for which we need to repent are caused by us aiming our desire for purpose, for identity, for intimacy in all the wrong directions. But when we choose godly sorrow and repentance, we get to trust that our desires can and will change. One of the first desires that can change is that selfish desire to just get the process over with already. And it's replaced by a growing, healthy, God-blessed desire to let the process of repentance do its work. So we then can experience all the benefits and encouragement that come on the other side of it. Repentance fills us all over again with deep care and concern for the right things. When we don't repent, our hearts grow hard and calloused and we turn against others and we turn away from God. But when we choose to repent, God brings us back to having our priorities in the right places. As we repent, we declare that we deeply care about what God cares about, that we concern ourselves with the things of God, his reputation, his truth, his reality, his people. Repentance grows this ability, this willingness to do whatever it takes. Real repentance is about being willing to do whatever it takes as long as it takes so that the truth of who we really are and the truth of who God is wins out over time. So often we feel defeated and we stop the process of repentance when we think it's not working. When we let ourselves believe that the burden of repentance has got to be heavier than the burden of our regret. Or when someone we care about and we really want them to see who we are now and, that, and believe in us and, and trust in us when they're not as quick to forgive and believe the best about us as we think they should be, we'll quit. But if we really choose repentance, we choose a long process. we got to know that going in. And it is most effective when we choose it not begrudgingly and not dragging our feet, but with joy. Why joy? Repentance seems really hard. Why would there be joy? Well, let me tell you. It's because we get another chance to show 
And no one else can do this for us. We get a chance to show who we really are. What a gift. It's part of the grace and mercy of God that we're not defined by our, by our past mistakes. But guess what? We are defined by them if we wear them around as a burden of regret and it never leaves. Back when I began a journey of repentance personally for all those addictions and my sin and my selfishness, the turning point wasn't when I felt convicted. I mean, I lived feeling convicted all the time. It was super heavy. The turning point wasn't acknowledging my need to repent. The turning point came when I embraced the joy, first and foremost, of showing my wife that my repentance was real by doing whatever it took for however long it took. And you know what? That is still a joy to me, and it has grown by leaps and bounds. I would say I'm still currently joyfully living that repentance every day. Still, 14 years later, what a joy to keep being able to show who I really am and what I'm all about. I get to show that my repentance was the real deal. Repentance brings about a reclaimed innocence. It doesn't erase our guilt. It doesn't mean we're not responsible for the stuff we've done. But it does redeem it and redefine it. When we learn and we grow and we change through godly sorrow and repentance, we become free from the weight that we piled on ourselves through sin and judgment and mistreatment of others. Our innocence in the eyes of God is restored. He sees us as clean and pure again. Repentance is an encouragement to others. We've talked about it a little bit, but nothing is quite as discouraging as people who have harmed us not really getting it. Am I right? They could. These people who have wronged us, they could get it if they just were interested in doing a little bit of work and introspection and self-awareness. But they're not interested in doing the work of embracing humility. They just want their quick, I'm sorry, to do the trick. And then when they pretend repentance and they go back to the same attitudes, same selfish choices, same mistreatment of us, It's a gut punch. It's the worst. But let's flip that. Because what about when you do that to others that you should be repentant to and you just say, I'm sorry, and you never change? If you really want to encourage others, let your sorrow, your repentance be genuine. Make it real. By living it. Actually change. It won't just bring you to life. It'll bring others to life and fill them with courage as well. I'm looking back four years ago. When I chose to own what was mine to own. In the harm that my former church had caused. And I wasn't automatically thinking. Hmm, how can I be an encouragement to others through this? It was just a very brutal time. But what quickly became most important to me was not how do I get through this process as pain-free and quickly as possible or how do I save face or make sure the right people get blamed or how do I protect and manage my own reputation. What became most important to me, and this spurred me to action, was the reputation of the church of Jesus as a place of love. 
That reputation had suffered through things I was part of, ways I had failed to speak up or act as a leader. But now, years later, as I look back, guess what? I don't just experience sorrow and regret and see the bad stuff. I see so many things over time, beautiful things, transformative things that prove repentance works. Standing up for the ethic and values of Jesus on behalf of his bride, the church, was worth it. It will never not be worth it. It has filled me, and I believe and hope it's filled many others with new courage, and I've found joy, joy looking back in being one small example of how God redeems regret through repentance. For encouragement to be the result, I couldn't put a time limit on how long I was willing to be repentant. There's just no going back. I embrace with joy every chance I get to show, to prove that it's real by continuing now and forever in the direction God set me in, wherever it leads. It's an ongoing repentance, and it's not a burden anymore. It's an encouragement and a witness to the power of the gospel. Here's the thing I want to make sure you leave with this morning. Repentance is worth it. If you've been questioning that for yourself, for whatever group you might be part of that's up to no good, repentance is worth it. And here's a simple recap of how to understand it and live it in your life. First, repentance begins with godly sorrow. So my question is, what is that stuff in your life that you and you alone are responsible for. You already feel bad about it. The remorse, yep, you've got that covered. And you've been sitting in regret and it's weighing you down. Is there stuff that you've hardened your heart toward that you should feel bad about? Embrace godly sorrow. Don't turn away from the truth of what you need to do. The bad feeling isn't the end of the story unless you refuse to repent. Let yourself experience, even pray and ask God for godly sorrow. Let yourself feel bad enough, sorrowful enough that you finally want something new in its place. Quit being mad that somebody simply pointed out the truth of a place where you need to repent. If it's true, quit trying to cover it up. Quit trying to win the argument. Just choose humility. And do something that we almost never do. It's not an instinct for us as people. Take the loss. Take the loss. Learn from it. Change your direction. And don't go back. If you're married, this is going to bless your spouse in all the ways that you have not been able to figure out yet. No one likes to feel sorrow, but embracing godly sorrow that leads to repentance is the only path to finding freedom from regret. The second thing you've got to be clear on is that repentance requires your will. Not a formula, not just a structure for repentance, not just a process, but within that, your will. No one can repent for you. You are the only one who can repent and live the new life God's called you to. And there will be countless ways that your brain Maybe even other people try to convince you, you've repented enough now. You can call it a day. 
Oh, you've been humble enough. Now you can let it go and get back to how you want to live. So in those moments when your ego, your pride, want to cut the process short and go back to being mad at everybody else, you, within yourself, through a sheer act of willpower, tremendous willpower, you will show your true colors in that moment. You won't want to be humble, let alone stay humble. Your will, outside of God's help, will direct you to self-protect, justify your behaviors, blame and project your sin onto others, make it seem not that bad. But when you make the choice to repent, when you surrender your will to God's process, he will give you the strength, the energy, the courage you need to keep going. God can work with a repentant and contrite heart. A hard heart that's only willing to go as far as remorse and is full of regret, not so much. And you can't fool God, even if you can fool yourself and everyone around you. And the third and final thing, repentance is ongoing. It's not about that first moment when you say, I repent. And it's so much more than just feeling bad and saying sorry. This is about transformation over time and nothing ever going back to the way it was. Now, you'll be surprised at how long a process repentance really is. You will feel the sting when you have begun to change, but others don't believe you yet. I would say don't put the burden of proof on them to make your repentance real. Keep it on yourself. And then learn to find joy in it. Sure, it'll take a long time. Sure, it won't be fun. Yes, those milestones of restoration and redemption will often feel way too few and far between. But your daily choice to stay humble to live the change you want others to believe in, whether they see it or not, it gives God something to work with for the benefit of everyone. Commit to lasting change. Resolve to live it every single day and then keep going. And don't stop. You make it real by living it. Here are some next steps to help get you started. Just thinking about this process. First is take an honest look within. God sees what maybe you aren't even willing to let yourself see in there. What's in your heart? Get honest. Have you been up to no good? Have you been sinning? Have you demeaned others? Have you been fueled by anger and misinformation instead of love and mercy? Is there hidden sin weighing you down with remorse and regret? Wherever your attitudes have not matched the heart of Christ, where your treatment of and belief about others in person or online, you name it, if that's not matched the loving, tender-hearted example of Jesus, guess what? It's time to repent. Choose to let yourself feel sorrow for what you've done, for what you've gotten caught up in, in whatever groups you're part of, because guess what? Whatever you think has been going on, whatever your perception is, on the receiving end, that stuff has hurt people. It has harmed the name of Jesus and the beauty and purity of his bride, the church. It has hurt sisters and brothers in Christ. It's brought anger and pride into your heart where there should be love. It has tarnished the beautiful 
matchless good news of the gospel. So take an honest look within yourself and repent. And if you're part of a group of people, a larger group in politics or whatever else, and by affiliation with that group, you have sinned against people and you've let other people who don't represent Jesus represent you, you fed on judgment and pride, you've rejected the humility of Christ so you and your group can win, your loyalties are divided and it's time to repent. And then for real, don't do it anymore. Because Jesus is not about that. The second step I'd encourage you to do is connect with someone. Someone you trust. Because you won't be able to trust your own mind, your own thoughts, your own ideas to accurately start you on the path of repentance. Now, you may hate the idea of letting someone else speak into your situation and tell you what they see, and I would never say, do it with anyone who passes themselves off as wise. No, make sure it's somebody you know, make sure it's somebody you already trust, who really gets you. But you need the voice of someone you trust, just like the Corinthian believers needed Paul. Someone with a godly, wise, Christ-like approach to life who can help open your eyes. The third thing is prayer and recommitment. Humble yourself in the sight of God. If you can't be humble in front of anybody else, at least you can be humble in the sight of God. Go to him in prayer. Rededicate yourself to his way of life, the path of salvation, it's called. Purpose in your heart and your mind, in your will, with God's help, to turn away from old behaviors and attitudes and toward God. And then do the things in reality that actually move you and keep moving you in his direction. Then a few things we offer, things that are coming up that I want you to know about that can become part of this process for you. The first is to just simply grab some study material. Grab a devotional that we make available out in the lobby on your way out. This is one of the simplest ways that you can engage in the process of your personal learning and growth. And then it has a direct, direct impact on those around you as you begin to apply and live what you learn about the truth of God's word. Pick one up on your way out today if you haven't already. Just get started. See what God would reveal to you. Second thing is we've got a worship night coming up, Friday, June 14th. We love these, okay? I hope we pack this place out. It's just an amazing night. This worship night is called Hopeful. And the reason it's called Hopeful is that we feel enough wasting away with remorse and regret and disappointment already. For whatever different reasons, hope in our world often seems in short supply. But it's as we journey toward God together, our regrets are redeemed. And as we see we're not alone and life isn't over, there's a new kind of hope that brings us to life. And I invite you to join us as we respond to, we sing about together the hope that we have in Jesus. And then the third thing that we're going to offer later this summer is our splash service where we do a ton of baptisms. We'll have a lot of people being baptized. I think it's amazing to see young kids being baptized, so innocent. I think it's amazing to see new believers being baptized just at the beginning of discovering what it means to dedicate their lives to God. But there is also something uniquely special about believers recommitting themselves 
to the way of Jesus and showing it to everyone by being baptized. What a huge encouragement those stories, all those stories are for the entire church. Maybe consider August 11th and baptism as an opportunity to show for the encouragement of all gathered that you take repentance seriously and that with joy you're moving in a new direction. Yes, repentance is worth it for you, for community, for the sake of the gospel. Embrace godly sorrow that leads to repentance today. And then keep it going. Keep it going. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We take you in your way seriously. We say that it's our chosen way of life. And yet so many things we do and get caught up in say something different about us. And I pray that in those areas, in those things that do not live up to your call, that do not live up to your standard, where we do not represent you well, Jesus, bring us back to the simple truth of your love, your grace, your mercy. Help us to live in light of that, not for ourselves, but for the sake of your gospel, for the sake of this world you love, so that all who are watching and observing and trying to see if what we talk about we really believe, if we're the real deal, well, I pray that you would lead us to repentance that would show unmistakably that your power is real, that repentance does lead us in the way of salvation, and that the results are encouraging for everyone, for everyone. Help us to start within and never look back. In Jesus' name, amen.